If you have your Bibles, we will be in Matthew today. Uh, actually, we're going to be in chapter 5 still. Um, we are finishing up our study uh, of what's called the Beatitudes, which are this list of blessings, this way uh, of being in the world that Jesus tells us about, um, that start off his first great block of teaching, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, Matthew gives us five blocks of teaching, much like the five books of Moses' law. It's a, a parallel that Matthew is drawing. And at the start of this first one, the Sermon on the Mount, this first block of Jesus' teaching, it opens with Jesus explaining these to these disciples, these people listening and following him, how to be in the world, how to live a life that is to be envied, how to live a life that is rich and full, how to live a life that is more fully human. Um, and that we do this um, by, by following these, this very, very counterintuitive way of understanding existence. <laughs> Right? He's just undermining it and flipping everything on its head and making everything upside down. And so today we're actually we're just going to finish up um, looking at these these today. Um, they're different the way that Jesus gives them to us, uh, and I think that they. I say that we're finished. Uh, we're finished for now. I think these are things that we will revisit repeatedly. Uh, it will at least come up really often because they're given to us in a way that's supposed to make us pause and go, what? Like, how, how can that be? And to listen to him, and, and the reason we listen to him is because of what he does, right? We look at his life and go like, okay, because of all this that he's done and, and, and who he is, we need to listen to his teaching. So we revisit the teaching repeatedly that don't make sense, that we struggle with. Uh, we revisit them to remind ourselves that our way, if we just walk around the world, our way of seeing it is not Jesus' way. So he gives them to us in this way that's supposed to stop us, make us revisit them, remind ourselves of what it's like to live a rich and happy life uh, um, in his way. They're supposed to interrupt us, break us up, wake us up, so he can put new life inside of us. And that's what it's about. It's about uh, Jesus came to tell us about this new life. We've all looked for life in, in relationships and in jobs and meaning and purpose in, in all of these different things. And Jesus comes to say that it's, it's so much more than that. The new life is not something that you can generate inside of yourself. It's a gift that's given to you, that we come into this world spiritually broken, spiritually dead, and that the life comes from Jesus. And, and the thing that is... I believe with all my heart that this is the life that we're looking for, right? In all the other places that we look, trying to find meaning. Every time you feel that it's just out of grasp, every time you get the thing that you wanted, but the feeling still remains, that's the life that we're looking for, the blessed life that Jesus is talking about that always remains just out of reach for us. And it's this really, really sturdy, unshakable type of life that new life This new life can't be destroyed when tragedy strikes, emotions change, or life just becomes overwhelming. This life is just eternal, right? And Jesus is our guide to understanding this, um, uh, the understanding of the Beatitudes. And it's actually, as we kind of unpack the Beatitudes in the rest of the sermon, he's not just the guide to understanding the Beatitudes, he's the guide to understanding everything. (laughs) And so, actually, the keys to the kingdom. So today, we're going to wrap up our look at the Sermon on the Mount, but let's, I'm sorry, at at the, the, we're not even close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, the Beatitudes, uh, the opening. And so, uh, let's just start with what we've gone through already. Uh, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, uh, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. This is what Jesus said to them. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, because they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's stop there. That's where we've been. Through the peacemakers. Uh, they'll be called sons of God. So the first few, the first four, um, really seem to be, these first blessings, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, and those who hunger and thirst, uh, those are blessings to the needy and the hurting. The poor in spirit are those who are spiritually bankrupt. (laughs) Those who know that they're spiritually bankrupt. How about that? Those who are aware of their spiritual death and that they need life and all the ways that we're trying to make ourselves alive just don't cut it. Uh, and so uh, being at the right rela- in the right relationship, being at the right party, uh, being, uh, getting our kids in the right schools uh, and the right sports, like none of those things fill us up. And, and, and the spiritually bankrupt, they live these lives that are not entitled and they're not scared because those who know that they're spiritually bankrupt, um, they never ask, why is this happening to me? <laughs> they ask, why not? me, you know? And so you don't live this entitled life and you live um, a life that's not scared because you know that no matter what happens to you, your real life is secure somewhere else, right, in Jesus. And so this pure, uh, sorry, the, uh, the poor in spirit have that unshakable place. And then you have those who mourn for, for a couple reasons are blessed. One, because God is just near the hurting, God is near the hurting, but also they're blessed because um, when Jesus talks about those who mourn here, he's calling on some Old Testament language, and what he really means is those who mourn the sin in the world, the broken condition of the world, the rebellion of the world against God, and they know that that's inside of them. So not only are we spiritually bankrupt, I contribute to that every day in my sinfulness. So we mourn and regret that we're sinful, and, and, and we know that we need help. So it's when we are there, we can receive this good news from Jesus. And it says those who are meek, another needy place, uh, because God opposes the proud, right? And he's near the humble. Um, The real hope for the world is not in technology. It is not in loudmouth politicians, and it's not in flashy billionaires. Uh, The real hope of the world is in the strength of the gentle, non-anxious, meek people who trust and depend on God. And so God is going to use us and use those people like that to teach others to trust him. Our hope is in him and in nothing else. The meek know they need help when they ask for it. And then you have those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're blessed. It's not those, it's really important you notice, it's not those who are righteous that are blessed. It's those who hunger and thirst. You only hunger and thirst for things you don't have. Those who long for a righteousness that is not their own, right? You're blessed because the story will go on to tell us that we, when we mourn our sin, we know we're spiritually bankrupt and we're meek and humble and know we need, need help and we come to God and ask for it, he's given us the, the righteousness that we need in Jesus. 
right? So this emptiness that we have is filled up. It's not that we have a righteousness. It's that we know we need to stand right before God. And so this is what he is pointing at in all of these things, uh, what, what he's teaching us so far. And when we live out of these things, these shape us, right? This, this kind of upside down way of being in the world, it teaches us when we constantly return to these things and humble ourselves before God and we live out of them, man, it is a new way of being in the world, but so counterintuitive. And then you have these, uh, the, la- the next three, the merciful, receive mercy, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. Uh, these are what it's like to be in the kingdom of God, right? Uh, these are what God is like, so it, doesn't, it makes sense that that's what his kingdom is like. His mercies are new every day. Uh, mercy means that it's grace, right? Uh, undeserved favor and merit, but mercy is, is acting on that letting some of the cost fall on you. And so in God's kingdom, we see how merciful he is in Jesus, right? Like the the entire cost of all of our sins falls on Jesus. That is mercy. And not just that, his mercies are new every single day. And so when we draw on that, right, that power of being forgiven, knowing who we are, knowing that we're secure, it enables us to be so much more merciful in the world and let others pick up the cost of others and let it carry it on our shoulders as well. Merciful, uh, that will cost you. Uh, being pure in heart, that will cost you idols. Being pure in heart is, it doesn't mean that you're some kind of moral standard that you have to live up to. Being pure in heart is, means you're solely focused, right? That Jesus is everything, that you're driven, that everything else falls under the lordship of Jesus, right? Like this is this, when you are pure in heart, it's just not muddled with other things. And man, what a, what a gift to get these idols out of our heart and be able to stand secure, knowing, right, what to do. We're not double-minded. It, it, the person who does that is not double-minded. They're able to be secure and go like, well, I'm going to do what Jesus says. And that orders everything else in our hearts. And then it says, um, the peacemakers, That'll cost you too. It'll cost you relationships. It'll cost you effort. It'll cost you in getting involved. And blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, this is what Jesus is, right? Jesus has done for us. What God has done is come. Jesus comes to make peace between us and God and teach us how to make peace with one another. And that will always cost when some of that burden again falls on us. And so this is the way to be in the world. It is beautiful, a way to live. And so then next what you have um, is the response to being this way in the world. The end of the sermon, of the beginning, and the end of the Beatitudes says this, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the beautiful the response to this beautiful way of living, right? The response to this is, if you're looking to sign up today, the response to this beautiful way of letting costs fall on you, of, of, uh, the response of the world will be to come at us. I'm sorry, what? I mean, like you paint this beautiful picture of being in the world, of how to love and how to forgive and how to be and all this cost. And Jesus says, the response to being like this is going to be people will persecute you. I, his readers definitely knew 
or the people that Matthew's readers and the people that Jesus is teaching, they knew persecution. And if they were Jewish, they knew the story of their people and the persecution of, of the Jews. But also they lived under Roman occupation. So they knew persecution. And so when Jesus says this, like I just can't I mean they knew it better than I knew it. I can imagine how stunned they were. I'm stunned, right? I've read this so many times. And even saying it out loud right now, I'm just like, I don't know if I can get through this. Like it's just so shocking. Like it's so counterintuitive, right? Um, the goodness described in these beatitudes um, will be rewarded with persecution in this world. I just, it, because I think, right? I think that the better I am, the less trouble there'll be. And Jesus says, nah, that's not how this is going to go. Um, in many ways, the Christian life is, is so beautiful and so appealing to millions and billions when they see how beautiful Jesus is. And so many people are drawn to it. Uh, uh, but um, Jesus promises us that, when, that it will bring us into conflict with others. That um, if you seek justice and you show mercy and you uh, are singly focused on him, uh, that you're going to be met with persecution. Um, Persecuted for pursuing righteousness, persecuted for following Jesus. And this shouldn't surprise us. He is preparing us to not be surprised that things will go badly and people won't like you if you do this. I guess we, I probably shouldn't be surprised, right? Because I think we know that if, when we speak truth, when you speak truth, even lovingly, um, it's going to put you at odds with people that disagree with you and people that don't want to hear it. I mean, you've been there before, right? Like you've asked advice for a friend and you expected them to tell you what you wanted to hear, but they told you something different. And what'd you do? You were furious at them. You knew it was the right thing and they said the right thing and you got mad at them. Why? That happens all the time. Maybe not to you, but to me. I don't want to put that on you. But to me, like you go like, I should do this, right? And they're like, dude, you should definitely. I'm like, ah, you're the worst. We're not friends anymore because I wanted them to tell me what I wanted to hear. And so it's going to put us at conflict when we have to be in the world. At some point, Christians will have to say, in a world that is, that is consumed with death, in a world that hates and is impure, at some point Christians are going to have, come to a place where we have to say no and there will be people that will not like that. Uh, Jesus, in a little bit later in the sermon, is going to give uh, this like, list of commands. One of the commentators uh, I read, I love it. He took those commands and he puts them back here and he's like, hey, let me explain to you how, how you'll be persecuted based on the Jesus commands. Uh, Jesus commands us to be obedient to scripture uh, and makes these incredibly extraordinary authoritative claims. And if you follow him, you're going to be called a fanatic. It, it, he, um, in seeking reconciliation, you'll be called a coward. In making decisions for sexual purity, you'll be called a Puritan. In uh, fidelity to marriage, uh, you'll be called uh, a prude. In rejecting oaths, to be called a sectarian. In responding nonviolently, called weaklings. And in loving your enemies, could be called unpatriotic. He calls us to be these ways in the world, and there are going to be people who do not like that. In my experience, you know who I think feels this most, at least in our context? Kids, youth. I mean, I've grown, I've like, like we've kind of, like, by the time you reach an adult, you kind of weeded a lot of these people out of your life, right? You know? Or it's also that as you coming of age, right? Like, the, the, the acceptance of your peers is such a powerful force because you're trying to find your place and how to be in the world. So when young people are trying to figure that out, it's such a, such a, a critical time. And look, young people, if you're young people, how old am I? Back in my day, listen, 
if you're in the youth, like if you're youth age, right, like five, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, all the way to high school, and even older, right, college. If you make a decision to follow Jesus, there are going to be a lot of people that tell you that you're dumb. There are going to be people that tell you you're missing out. There are going to be people that their relationships are going to break up. Like people will not, friends will leave you. All of these things are going to happen if you choose to follow Jesus. If you do not affirm and approve and go along with, it's going to cost you. It will cost you to follow Jesus. Um, Here's what I want to say to you. Try to understand. They're trying to figure it out too. And come to us. We will love you. And we will comfort you. And we will assure you that Jesus is worth following. And that we love you. Come to us. If you have uh, had the good gift of Christian friends, uh, do not underestimate what a powerful gift that is to have friends that will point you to Jesus, who will say no to you when you want to hear yes, and yes to you when you want to hear no. Uh, the power of that community is tremendous. Of course, also it upsets me because it means my mom was right, which bothers me always. I don't know why. I was 48 years old. You'd think by now I'd be over it. But yeah, well, you're, you, show me your friends, right? I'll tell you what the future looks like. But yeah, so the power of having those people around you because acceptance is so powerful. So for not participating, we will cost. Uh, and at some point as we get older, uh, we, when we have to oppose certain ways of the world, the world will not like that. When we have to say, no, this is not good for you. No, this is not right. And we have to, we have to say no to things. You will face injustice. You will, when we insist on loving our enemies, you're going to be imposed even by people that you agree with on most things. <laughs> so how is this good news? Right? Like, what? I get it, but like, how is this good news? And he, he says, so blessed are you, and notice there's a parallel here, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then the next verse, Jesus does this crazy thing where he inserts himself at the center of righteousness, which by the way, like, it's just going to play out in the rest of the story. Yeah, he is our righteousness. So he inserts himself in the same place. Look at the parallel. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake in verse 10. And then 11, blessed are you when you revile you and you're persecuted and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he says, because, rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How is this good news? Because there's reward. There's reward that is eternal in quality. I mean, don't you expect better gifts from people who make, you know, have more money? You know what I mean? Like, you do, right? Like, you know, like, did you ever have a rich aunt that you knew was like a multi-millionaire, but she's the one that gave you the worst Christmas gifts? You're like, ugh, this person, you know? Maybe that's how she got rich, who knows? Like, but anyway, but, but, but we, they have more, you expect more. What I'm saying is this, God of infinite wealth, the reward that he has for you, it will match his quality. It, it, it will be of the quality you would expect from the God of eternity. That is what, it'll be eternal in nature. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for, in Jesus' name because you received the kingdom of heaven. And not just in quality, but in quantity, in, in, in duration, right? I can't, man, I, 
just thinking about the week up ahead sometimes, like I lose my mind. You know what I mean? Like, Chris, why are you in a bad mood? I'm like, this is a terrible week. And I just get obsessed about a week. Man, it's such a short period of time. Well, how can you get so bent out of shape out of a short period of time? I don't, we just, it's, it's, it's a function of us humans to have, be very short-sighted. What he's promising us is a reward beyond anything we can imagine that lasts into eternity when we face persecution on account of following Jesus. There is a great blessing. But it is possible to stand up, to clearly articulate a biblical position on, the, on a topic, face hate and vitriol, and not be persecuted for Jesus' sake. Here's what I mean. Motives are weird things, right? Like, uh, yeah, imagine somebody like you walk in and like there's a party and you're like, oh, oh this is the, what's, why is there a party in my house? Like, what's going on? And, and, and my wife runs out and is like, oh, I threw you a party. I'm like, for me? She's like, yeah, this is a party for you. And I'm like, these aren't my friends. These are your friends. And she's like, no, 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 this is a party for you. They're your friends too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. One, I don't like parties. Uh, two, I don't need people. Not, this is all your favorite foods. It's not like, no, 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 it's for you. Like, I did it for you. And you're like, I don't think so. I think that your motive, you might believe in your head you did it for, you, for me, but clearly this is for you, right? That could happen. Or even worse, how about this? How about you tell yourself for decades that you were working so hard for your family, but really that's just where your identity was? Right? Like sometimes our motivations get confused. It's possible, I think, to stand up and to articulate a clearly biblical position to stand opposed to what is wrong and be doing it for self-righteous snake and not in the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? How about this? Let me put it more bluntly. Uh, it's possible to be persecuted not in Jesus' sake just because you're a jerk. Right? It's possible to stand up and just be a jerk, be adamant, be mean, and then get persecuted and go like, oh, I knew I'd be persecuted for Jesus' sake. You're not being persecuted for Jesus' sake. You got no tact. You got no love. You're not doing it right. Jesus doesn't say we get a reward just for being theologically right. He says we get a reward for being persecuted in his namesake. So what would that look like? Well, it would look like how he got persecuted. It would look like approaching persecution the way he approached persecution, which means this. We, when it comes from a place of, you know what? Here's how you know. When you stand up and articulate a Christian position and you say no to the world, do you do it knowing that you're poor in spirit? Do you do it? Do we do it mourning the sin that is in the world and in me? Do I do it uh, knowing that, it is, that I'm a sinner saved by grace and there's no righteousness in me but what God has given me? Do I do it knowing that I have shown mercy, taking some of the cost on me? Do I do it knowing that my motives are 100% sh- pure, that Jesus is loved and made much of and was every attempt made at peacemaking? If I do it that way, so that his name is great and I'm persecuted and you're persecuted, your reward is great in heaven. If you do it for self-righteous reasons, you get what you get. There's no reward in heaven. That's harder. That's harder. Can't I just stand up and be right and like punch people, right? Like I just want to do that. Like, but no, it's, it's, it's doing it Christ's way. That is what we purchase on my account. And what he says is, what we lose in doing that 
does not compare to what we will gain. We will be freely given from God out of all proportion to the service that we've given. That's what he promises. It's just hard to accept sometimes that the way of the Christian in the world looks like defeat sometimes. It looks like defeat sometimes. It does not look like the world's definition of winning, but in the end we know because of the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we have the final victory in him and in him alone. Also, it says this, you can be, you're blessed because you, know, you can know this, you're in good company. It says, so they, uh, so they, did, uh, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is like, this is what happens. This happens. It's going to happen to me, it happened to the prophets before us, and it will happen to you. And you can know that your future is secure. It is with God, and it is a joy to suffer for the one who has suffered so much for you. This is the way it is in the world. So, It's just kind of weird to talk about persecution when the drugstore sells t-shirts right up here with Bible verses on them, right? Like it's like a high-selling product. It's like, like in America, right? It's a little weird to talk about persecution. Not that it's not there, but it's just, I don't know, it seems weird. But it's pretty common. Luckily, we don't live in a, luckily our, our God is not a God of Bluff Park. It's not a God of Birmingham or Alabama. It's not a God of America. He's the God of the entire universe. And so we learn from our brothers and sisters uh, a few things, just so you know. Um, 2023 report comes out. 10 most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world in 2023. I think because we think that we have pretty good religious freedoms the world's this way. Nope, not true. Uh, North Korea is the worst, according to this report, you know. 400,000 Christians is what they estimate. Consequence of being caught? Probably death. Somalia? Um, young females are particularly, they convert to Christianity, particularly vulnerable. They're often forced into marriages in terrible situations. Um, there are very few Christians there, but their oppression is tremendous. Uh, in Yemen, um, Several thousand Christians um, kicked out of tribes, kicked out of families. 1.7 million uh, in Eritrea, uh, Libya, 35,000 Christians. Nigeria, 100,000 Christians. Uh, Boko Haram uh, and several other organizations uh, come into villages and slaughter Christians. There is real persecution for following Jesus in the rest of the world. Real, and I'm not, 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 there's not persecution here, but real violent persecution for following Jesus in the rest of the world. And so what we do about that, I think, though, is we pray for them. It's part of us, the brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We pray for the persecuted church. That is a thing that we're called to do. Also, we learn from them. It's amazing to me. I, I've never seen it. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never seen it. In an area that's persecuted, and you ask local pastors and local Christians, what can we do for you? It's, ne- it, it's almost invariably some version of pray that, we have, pray that we have the strength to face persecution well so that others know about Jesus. I could stub my toe. I go to the ER and just like make a big deal. I, like I, 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 the smallest bit of slight to me and I will lose my mind. And they're facing real persecution, death, imprisonment. And they're like, hey man, just pray that we're strong so Christ is made much of. I'd be like, get me out of here. That's what I would do. Like I need you out right now. Come get me. That's what you can do for me. 
We pray for them. We learn from them. We give great thanks for their strength and the spread of the gospel around the world. And also, I think we learn to prepare. Look, in America, there is some, some violence. Uh, um, there was some uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, when that was overturned, there was, there was actual violence uh, uh, um, and actual uh, um, vandalism to churches and facilities. And, and it, it happens in America. It does. There are places where it does happen. But mostly, mostly it's like being left out, being told, being made, made to feel being left out, left behind, like those types of things. Um, but had, like, I, do you ever wonder like, how you would do somewhere else? I, I think about that. I just grew up in that kind of age where we talk about that a lot, and I, I think about it. Um, and here, here's what I want to say. I think that we believe that in some way that we're supposed to summon up inside of us and practice, like, how would I, if I was in these circumstances, like, how would I stand up, try to summon up some uh, next level Christianity, that like, how do I get that next level Christianity by, even though I live in America, like, how do I do that? And I, I don't think that we're looking for some next level Christianity that we have to somehow arrive at. Here, here's what I think that we need to do. I think responding in the appropriate way to persecution comes from knowing that you're poor in spirit, and constantly returning to God for strength in life. Knowing, mourning your sin, knowing that we are broken and in need. I think that it comes from being meek and knowing, asking for help and salvation. Knowing that we have a righteousness that's not our own. Living out mercy. I think it comes from seeing that Je- I think it comes from following so in love with Jesus that when anything comes against us, we go, well, I could never betray Jesus. There's this great story Jesus tells later. It's a parable. And he's, he says the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven is like, uh, like somebody who found, like a pearl trader who found this pearl that was like worth every, so much more than everything else. Goes and sells everything he has to buy this one pearl. Or somebody who finds a treasure in a piece of ground and he's like covers the treasure back up, goes and sells everything that he has to have this treasure, to have this land. He says that's what it's like. And I just think that's what it is. We be- fall so in love with Jesus that when anything comes against us, we go, how could I ever betray this one who loves me so much? that I love so much. It's just falling so deeply in love when someone asks us to do something contrary or we're pushing a place we have to, we would have to make a choice we would never consider betraying our Lord. It's not summing up, like leveling up in Christianity. It's falling more in love with Jesus. My walking through these things, working through these things this way, it is constantly looking to Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's taught us. That is how we live this rich, full life now and on in the reward into eternity. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus saves He saves us. He's given us his righteousness. He has given us his protection. He has made sure that our eternity and our soul, our life is secure in him and he will one day return and make all things new. When we are pure in heart and that is our focus, all of of our other loves will fall in place and no matter what comes our way, we will not be moved. We can rejoice and be glad. Does that mean it doesn't hurt? It It won't hurt? Does that mean it won't be sad? It doesn't mean that we won't mourn lost relationships. It just means that none of that will compare to the great love that we know we have in Jesus. That's what it is. 
falling more and more in love with Jesus by looking at him over and over and over again. We look at the cross, we talk about the cross, we talk about Jesus. Over and over again, what we're doing is, this is what my sin cost and how deeply loved I am. And letting that shape us, living out of this place of being merciful, living out of this place of showing others mercy because of the mercy that we've been shown, seeking peace because of the peace that God has made for us, being pure in heart because we know that no other love can compare to Jesus. This is the Christian life. So when persecution comes, when we feel left out, when we have to oppose what is wrong, when we have to stand up and speak when we don't want to, and we face rejection, we face persecution, whatever it is that comes, we can be 100% certain that the most important thing about us, who we are in Jesus, will never fail and will carry on into eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word from Jesus. That this is who he is, that he's done. He is who he says he is. He's done what he said he was going to do. We are grateful. So grateful for this life that we have in him, for this hope that we have in him. Thank you for this amazing teaching. May we revisit it often. Knowing that, man, my way of thinking about what real life is is just, the true life is, is not It's so messed up. It's so temporal. It's so fleeting. But an eternal life and quality and duration that comes through relationship with Jesus, that is irreplaceable. It is the treasure that surpasses all other things. So when we face decisions and suffering scares us, when persecution unsettles us, May we put it to the side because of the great love that we have for Jesus, because of the great love that he has for us. Let us fall more and more in love with him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.